0: It's Wednesday, May 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Mark Reith, and joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Jason, how's it going? It's another lovely rainy day, Mark. I've got a hankering for some nirvana. <laughs> it's the 14th straight day of rain. I think we set records here in DC. I think we set records. Ugh. Can't figure it out. What Was did it, we do to deserve this? Wasn't it the April showers that are supposed to bring the Mayflowers? I don't like it. Uh, plenty to get to today, besides the weather report, including some really bad news for Office Depot and Staples. But we begin with a look at earnings news from Disney yesterday. Uh, the company reported a rare earnings missed after announcing its second quarter on Tuesday. Uh, Jason, why don't you just give us a quick rundown of what you saw in the report and what's going on with Disney? Sure. I mean, I think this is a great example of where the financial media can
1: take. An isolated incident, a quarter like this, and really run with it and try to sort of introduce potential questions as to as to Disney's business model and and really is is the growth story over? Right. Disney's just too big. I mean, what about ESPN? I, I think when you look at this quarter in total, though, and particularly after reading through the call sure they missed expectations but we're talking about a company that doesn't typically set guidance anyway mm-hmm. and and we often talk about this on on the radio show we care more about what management uh, we care more about management sort of meeting their own benchmarks versus the benchmarks that that Wall Street perhaps sets, and and I think in this case Walt Disney continues to perform very well. There was actually very good numbers from ESPN, which is probably the biggest question. And I think rightly so. I mean, it it is a very significant part of the profitability story of this company. But operating income with with ESPN was up nine percent for the quarter, and and also. You know, we're talking a lot about sort of the new ways people are getting their content, whether they're cutting the cord completely or going with sort of a skinny bundle. That you hear, you hear mm-hmm. that said a lot. in um, Bob Iger noted in the call, there are all sorts of different offerings that are kind of coming uh, to the table. And one that we recently saw news on was with Hulu, perhaps bringing a cable type subscription to its platform, where it's going to be maybe twenty twenty five channels, something like forty dollars a month and ESPN would be a part of that. In all of these different offerings, management noted that ESPN is in high demand for all of these offerings. So regardless, we never really feel like it's a problem with the brand or the or the the actual ESPN property. It's a question of distribution. And mm. and that's really what it boils down to. And we think with the internet and mobile technology, this really enables for a a wider, grander scale of distribution than probably ever before. So, we actually kind of look at this as an opportunity for Disney. But then, you pivot away from ESPN and you just look at what these guys are doing in the movie theaters, and it just continues
0: to amaze. $2.1 billion in studio revenue this quarter alone. That's a 22% increase year-over-year thanks to Zootopia and Star Wars. That's insane. It I, is. And, and then that, that just, I think it speaks to what you were talking about earlier in that the financial media, they saw a miss. They're going to j- pounce on this story. Uh, you know, you saw that too with the earnings call. I don't know if you listened, but the very first question from analysts wasn't about the business itself. It wasn't about ESPN, even. It was about succession. It was yep. about Tom Staggs and Bob Iger. Leadership. Uh, is bo- it, it was leadership, exactly. They're trying to turn something uh, that's still, to le- at least to my mind, a non story. Bob Iger is at Disney until 2018. We got years to go here under his. His reign, but uh, obviously the news came out that Tom Stags isn't on the uh, isn't on the list for you know the the next CEO of Disney anymore uh, earlier in April. So again, the very first question they asked really doesn't have anything to do with Disney Disney's quarter, right? Which overall, I think you said it looks solid. And leading the charge is, of course, studio revenue, which I don't see slowing down anytime soon.
1: No, I don't. And, and I mean, I don't either. And I think you put this into perspective and you look at what they have done on the movie front since the Pixar acquisition. I think it was in 2006, I believe. But since then, they've released 27 studio films under the Disney animation, Marvel, Lucasfilm, Pixar brands. Mm-hmm. 27 films that have averaged global box office. Of these twenty-seven films, seven hundred and seventy million dollars each, and and that now now I I will say like we we've we smile when we when we talk about Bob Iger because he has really been the catalyst behind all of these acquisitions, right? I mean, those were the three very important deals that have been able to take Disney to to really a new level. Questions of leadership are going to remain, obviously, until the questions are answered. I thought it was interesting that he noted that he didn't have any current plans to extend beyond 2018. Right. So, well, he, he already extended once. He had extended okay. once, and the question was asked: If if they don't find the right leader, will he continue extending? And you know, he says, "I don't have current plans to do so, but it's it's a long time from from now until then, mm-hmm. and and anything can happen." But I think, regardless, again, we look at Walt Disney, we think about a business that has a number of different ways to win. Uh, realizes tremendous operating leverage in the parks and the theaters, community uh, the, the uh, in, in all of the consumer products that mm-hmm. they're able to develop from all of these from all of these film properties just so many different ways to win and it's such a, a part of our lives, you know we, we always talk about it you you go through it as a kid, then you take your kids through it, and then eventually they're going to take their kids through it. And let's not forget about uh, Shanghai Disney. I mean, that's getting ready to open, and it sounds like this is the most unbelievable thing Disney's ever built. It's I mean, going to be insane. Yeah, Iger said he's been he's been watching he's been he's been a part of this process for for the past seventeen years. Mm-hmm. So this is essentially seventeen years in the making. This guy is like this is like the culmination, I think, of his tenure with, with the company. It, it, it sounds like it's going to be a pretty phenomenal. Uh, Property when all when all of a sudden done and and we'll get a, a first hand look at it here in the, in the next couple of months
0: right and that was part of the uh, the report as well earnings you know they they took a little bit of a hit there uh, because costs at Shanghai are obviously you know uh, continuing to unfold as they continue to build there the one uh, the last thing I just want to talk about the only. Real uh, part of this story that I paid attention to was Disney closing their video game uh, side yeah. of the business. They took a 147 million dollar charge for abandoning its Infinity game, uh, and we, you, you and I, see 147 million dollars. You think, Oy vey, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> but then you hear global box office per movie is what 745 sure. million, yeah. drop in the bucket. But still, it, it's it speaks to uh, Disney's plan here about focusing on you know, maybe more of the media and less on getting their products into people's homes, which I'm a little surprised by, because Disney has said that they're not going to produce their own video games anymore. They're just going to license the, yeah. you know, the IP, the Star Wars, and so on, uh, to other companies to make the video games. It's, it's kind of like they're just washing their hands of that entire market, a market that it was doing pretty well in with this Infinity game. I don't know if your kids played with the Infinity action figures or the Skylanders or the Legos. It's it's a growing market. It is. Uh, but there's, I think it's also a lot of competition there, and maybe Disney just said, you know what, it's not worth the risk. It's not worth the, the, the costs. Let's just take this one charge right now and focus on other things." I, I, I'd love your opinion on that, and where you think Disney's going from here. Yeah, I
1: think the, you, you mentioned Skylanders, and so I think in the video game realm, Activision Blizzard has really always been the king of that space. Mm-hmm. And I think Disney never quite cracked that nut. I mean, they tried a number of different ways. Um, but but ultimately for them it was always sort of the under underperformer you know of the of the business and so i think i mean for them it makes a lot of sense in the in the regard that now they don't have to worry about trying to produce this stuff licensing is a very attractive quality of a business you don't okay. do a heck of a lot of work for it you make a lot of high profit dollars licensing that property away so really the important part of that relationship the ip is something that Disney keeps. They can license that out to a number of different uh, companies out there that are that are more pure play video game companies. And so it's just sort of seeing how uh, digital distribution is changing everything from the things we watch to the games we play and and the the products that we buy. Hmm. And I think they just saw this as maybe not really a place where they were seeing as much str- as much strength as as uh, as it correlates to the to, to the work that they're actually putting into it so i mean it makes sense again it's not like they're not going to realize the benefits from the from the property oh, it's, no. just, yeah. it's just it's just going to be going about it a different way and sort of allow them to allocate uh, you know their resources in,
0: in in other more sort of robust growth Markets, right. All right, let's move on to Staples and Office Depot. Some really (laughs) bad news for these two companies. Staples is down 17% today. Office Depot down 38% today. On the news that a federal judge has decided to issue a temporary injunction blocking the merger between the two companies, Uh, the companies have come forward and said that they plan to terminate the merger agreement. So this is off the table. No more Staples and Office Depot joining forces. I think there was a lot of surprise uh, to hearing about this. I don't know if you followed, you know, the the, the court uh, recordings or anything like that at all. But from what I read, it sounded like the judge was really leaning uh, into you know Staples and Office Depots on their side, and then suddenly yeah. coming down on the. On the side of the the federal government here, what's your takeaway on this? I, well, I think that ultimately
1: what it leaves us with is two very me- mediocre companies mm. in Staples and Office Depot, and and I I would guess that one of them probably isn't going to isn't going to make it in the end. I mean this this is kind of a surprising uh, ruling because I I just these are two businesses that are really in decline. Mm-hmm. I mean. And Staples has done very well on the e-commerce side of things. They've been using sort of uh, the online model to, to add uh, to add to their to their uh, top line there. And Office Depot less so. I mean, I felt like this was going to really bring two companies together. They could ring out the cost efficiencies there and um, perform better as one entity. But but yeah, this seems like when you look at this deal and then you look at the Baker Hughes Halliburton deal. Mm-hmm. I can certainly understand calling off that energy space deal more than I can understand this one. Because right at the at, at the end of the day here with this deal, I think you've got Jeff Bezos probably sitting back there at Amazon headquarters just sort of, you know, licking his chops and Rice. just kind of thinking, oh, All right. Excellent. You know, I mean now he can he he's going to continue to attack Markets like these that are inefficient, big box, mm-hmm. sort of uh, less profitable, a lot of overhead business models. I mean, he's going to attack this type of opportunity here, and I think that's where the combined entity here probably would have had a better chance uh, than than. The two remaining separate, and unfortunately, that's that's where it stands. And and I think the stocks today they're both are being taken to the shed, Mm -hmm. and and I think that makes a lot of sense. I I wouldn't really be interested in investing in the combined entity, and I'm certainly not interested in in
0: investing in in both of them on their own. Oh no, not at all. To your point, I i got to i'm trying to get into the head of the judge here and if i'm if i'm the judge in this case i'm looking at these two companies which you're right they've they've shrunk over the last couple of years they 've been selling off assets they're going to sell off assets to make this deal work, uh, so they're only going to get smaller before they got larger when they joined forces if i 'm the judge in this deal i'm looking at this particular industry, this big box industry that Staples and Office Depot are the leading contenders in. And I can see why he would say, okay, a combined joint Office Depot and Staples is too big within this specific industry. It's almost like he didn't look outside of the industry at the Amazons, at the Walmarts, an Office Depot-Staples combination isn't going to take down Amazon by any stretch of the imagination. And Amazon is absolutely, as you said, licking its chops. They've got their Amazon business unit. I think it's like a year, year and a half old now. In their last earnings report, Amazon said that that uh, business-to-business website now sells more than a billion dollars a year in office supplies and other products. Sure. Amazon's already off to the races here. Oh, yeah. And if if you don't give Staples and Office Depot a chance to compete, well, just because you think no one else is going to have a chance Compete with them? I think that's a backwards way of looking at it. Almost, you're not looking at the broader industry here. Uh, And like you said, I think I'm a little surprised by this, honestly. Well, it
1: sounded like one of the reactions or one of the reasons behind this was they felt that the combined entity would ultimately push prices up. Mm -hmm. um, Which I guess in an in an Amazon-less world, that might make sense. Mm -hmm. But I, I mean, I mean, I think in virtually any. Retail style market—you've got to be looking at Amazon as really the company that's sort of setting the trends for all of these, all of these, uh, all of these spaces. And the one thing that Amazon is very good about doing is really pushing prices down as low as they can possibly go. Right. Uh, So whether it was a combined entity or the two companies on their own, Amazon's going to still try to try to cut them on pricing, and and further, they're going to add more convenience to it as well. So, I, 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 disagree really with the notion that it would actually result in pushing prices up. I don't think that would happen. I think if if the combined entity would want to stay in business, then they would have to do everything they could to compete with Amazon and that would include lower prices and more convenience, which again, that may not be necessarily their specialty as it is today. Uh, it's certainly Amazon's specialty mm-hmm. and I think it's just one, one more reason why you'll you'll see Amazon continue to take more share in the
0: space as time goes on. Couldn't agree more. Okay, let's keep talking about retail. Uh, Let's move into Macy's, which reported earnings earlier. Uh, First quarter sales were down 7.4%. That's the fifth straight quarter of declines there. Uh, Macy's is struggling as customers cut back on spending and a strong dollar is keeping tourists from visiting Macy's locations. Uh, Is that <laughs> is that enough of an excuse in your mind uh to 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 say okay well revenue came in much lower uh than expected earnings are still down uh what's your takeaway from this Macy's report
1: Yeah I don't think it takes a genius to really uh just go to a mall and observe the traffic one day and you can tell a mall is just not the same that it used to be mm-hmm. I mean traffic is down pretty much everywhere you go it seems like at least And I mean, retail, particularly a Macy's, is going to be very uh, reliant on on you know mall traffic and just a general sort of positive uh, consumer outlook, consumer sentiment there, and and we just don't really have that right now. And the numbers tell the tale. Hmm. Um, They any any time you see a company guide like they've guided, uh, it's going to result in, in, I think, the market generally just selling the stock and walking away, because they look at it and think, OK, this is basically dead money for now. now. I will say, with Macy's, it's interesting, a couple of quarters ago, they started talking about this strategy they have, it's called the MOM strategy, M-O-M, which, it's a little creepy, <laughs> yes, but let me explain what it means exactly. Sure. Uh, so, the first M is for My Macy's, it's about localization and more personalization, trying to make each Macy's a bit more cater each store to its location. Uh, a Macy's in South Carolina might be a little bit different than one in California, for example. Sure, sure. Uh, the O stands for omnichannel, becoming more than just a big box place where people go buy their things, becoming everything, really, whether it's e commerce, mobile the physical location, bringing that all together and really providing a seamless experience for the consumer wherever they want to do their shopping. And then the last M is for, this is the creepiest of all, Mark, magic selling. It's making experiences magical. Ah. Now, that might work for Disney. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it necessarily works for uh, for Macy's, so the strategy seems like it may not necessarily be panning out as initially it, it had hoped. But by the same token, I will say that, I mean, this is a stock now that's trading around 10 times full year expectations. Management revised our guidance downward with this release, and it's trading about 10 times full year expectations. Now, this is a stock that in better times trades for a much higher multiple than that. So again, with retail where those sustainable competitive advantages are harder to come by, you need to be a little bit more willing to sell when you've made some money on the story. I mean Macy's is a pretty reputable brand. It's a very sure. familiar brand. A lot of people know it. They have a lot of of those locations around around the country. Some very prime real estate. And um it it may be worth investors time to dig in there and see if there maybe isn't some value there because in 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 better times when consumers are feeling a little bit better about things and they want to get out there and do some more shopping I think Macy's is typically a place where uh, even if you don't intend to go there, if you go to the mall, you probably end up in one anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but well with, said, the, with the focus on omni-channel, they're going beyond just having to be at the physical location. I, th- I think that's an important uh, important dynamic to the business. Was the last trip you took to Macy's magical? You're not going to believe this actually, but I went to the mall on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we. Went with For my wife. Sake? Yeah, well, she was going to. She went to a hair appointment, oh, and so lovely. we all went together. And we thought we'd just kind of tootle around and do whatever. But, but yes, I ended up actually uh, walking through a Macy's and the Apple Store and Coach and and Michael Kors. And I was really taken aback by just how unbusy it was. It just didn't really seem like there was a whole lot going on. Um, Unbusy, but but yeah, that's a technical term. That's <laughs> sure. That's FIFA. what they use on the earnings call. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so I, I mean, I th- again, I think that Macy's. If you go to a mall, you probably end up there, even if you didn't mean to. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that probably uh, in better times, this is a name that that will will recover. Sure. Uh, but it's definitely not one of those buy it and then just hold it. Uh, forever
0: kinds of companies. I agree. Okay, uh, let's wrap up with some more retail, some more bad news in retail with Fossil. Uh, Talk about taking out getting taken out to the shed. The stock is down 30% today. Uh, Fossil reported a huge decline in first quarter profit uh, as well as sales, and even worse, guidance wasn't much of a help. Things are not looking great over at Fossil. Where is this coming from? Out of it seems like it's out of left field here, Jason. What happened here?
1: Well, Mark, let me just say that if you're ever feeling down and mm-hmm. you feel like the world is against you and there's just uh, no real light at the end of the tunnel, mm-hmm. go through and read this Fossil earnings uh, earnings earnings release, and, and it'll make you feel a little bit better because oh? this release was pretty depressing <laughs> in virtually every way. Um, <laughs> Guidance typically. Trump's results, mm-hmm. particularly when the results aren't all that spectacular, and Fossil is even guiding, uh, like this business is just going down the toilet. Right. And, and the market says, hey, we don't want to have anything to do with it. That's great. I mean, they make three, 70, 75% of their sales come from watches. Right Now, these are typically not your high end watches, but kind of. Mid to low end watches, and they even made a a smartwatch acquisition. uh, I think it was back in I don't know, maybe maybe six months, eight months, nine months ago, something like that. Um, company called Misfit. So they're trying to participate in that in that market a little bit, which is I think a bit more of a challenge because the smartwatch I don't think is quite catching on as much as maybe the fitness band is, Mm -hmm. and it's just it's hard to see um, ultimately which one's going to win out there. But but the bottom line is that. They just aren't seeing the same kind of demand for their products that they're used to seeing, and and when that happens, particularly with a retailer that is is so exposed to one particular product as Fossil is, um, they're they're going to find themselves in a heap load of trouble. And I mean, they've really guided for just just poor results for the rest of the year. I mean, we know that the rest of the year is just going to be really tough for these guys.
0: But what's the cause? Where Where is the, the watch money going? Are people just not buying watches, or are people choosing smartwatches over old-school, you know, fossil watches? Well, I
1: think definitely it's a market that's in, in the midst of a big change right now. I think the smartwatch is part of it, right? You've got people looking at all of these different types of products, whether it's Pebble or the higher end with the Apple Watch. But again, I think also a lot of people out there wearing those fitness bands. So, I mean, whether it's Fitbit or something else. I mean, I think, um, I mean, you you have your watch enthusiasts who probably aren't going to be buying a whole lot of fossil watches. And then you have your other folks who maybe they don't wear a watch, and you're not going to really convince them to wear a watch anyway. Um, and then you have this market of of fitness devices that sort of the wearables that that's sort of changing that that space there and I think it's just it's a market that's in the midst of a change right now and I think fossil's kind of stuck in the middle there they've got a little bit of exposure to to that change with that misfit acquisition but then on the flip side they've got all of this exposure to really, not all that compelling of a product. You're not going to maintain a whole lot of pricing power on the style of watches that they're selling to begin with. And it's not like it's some big repeat purchase either. Mm -hmm. And and when you have that much of your revenue tied to that one product, um, it's just really, really difficult to hold any
0: Really sustainable kind of success. You mentioned there might be some value in Macy's. Is there value in Fossil? I mean, it's down thirty percent. It's cheap. It's never. It hasn't been this cheap in a long time.
1: Yeah, I think the thing that I don't like about Fossil is that it is so dependent on one product line. Right. I think with Macy's, you've got sort of some diversity there, and, and, and they sell a lot of different things. Um, I, I think with Fossil, I, I mean, for me personally as an investor, it just doesn't have. The same kind of diversity. I just don't see any kind of a competitive advantage there. I mean, we're seeing inventory start to to get a little bit more inflated. Margins are starting to come down. I mean, there's there's every reason for investors to stay away from this one. And I I think the bottom line is I don't see the catalyst that really turns this around anytime soon. Uh, so I'll I'll politely decline. That's a sign of the times.
0: Eh? Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> on that high note, Jason Moser, thank you for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about and the motley fool may have formal recommendations for or against so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear that's it for this edition of market foolery the show is mixed by dan boyd i'm mark reef thanks for listening we'll see you tomorrow